I will change my voice yet one more time for you. I am going to the doctor tomorrow. This is just silly, you know. I'm very thankful for medical care and all those things. Inflated as my head was earlier today, I thought if I went down the hill it would probably just blow up. Well, thank you. I need you guys. That's the way the body of Christ is supposed to function. Amen? Tonight, if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 22, I will do my best to limit my coughing, sneezing, and other associated things. Seems like everybody on the mountains either got this or had it. You know, it's like, now I'm not prophesying over you who have not, okay? But, and I, I don't want to share the love either, so just. Yeah, no, I don't want you to have to share in the, share in the joy. Before we get into the word tonight, let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that even, Lord, in our weakness, you are strong. Lord, when there's little left of us, there's more than enough of you. And God, as you work in us to will and to do as is your good pleasure, that, Lord, you have a plan for all things, to work them together for the good, for those who love you and have been called according to your purposes. And so, Lord, tonight we just give you this, yet another chapter of this amazing book of Acts. We pray that you'd speak to us. Could we draw from it tonight, from the life of Paul, Lord, this man who unreservedly shared your love with a world that didn't want to hear the message. Lord, at times at his own peril. We pray that we'd have that kind of sanctified boldness in our own lives. Bless us, anoint us, help us to receive. Lord, just quiet our hearts and minds. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Tonight, as we begin chapter 22, I'd remind you that chapter 21 ends very, very similarly to the way that chapter 22 begins. And if you go back just a few verses to 39, there in chapter 21, it says, But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Sicilia, a citizen, and by no means city, and I implore you to permit me to speak to the people. And so when he had given permission and stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people, Paul was a very gifted orator. And he knew how to gather the crowd's attention, and apparently he was using those gifts at this time. So here he is. He's been arrested. He's now going over to be held, in essence, to be protected in the Antonia Fortress. So he's adjacent to the temple, and he's stationed now with the Roman garrison. That Roman garrison is basically protecting him. And he says, no, I really don't want you to protect me. I want to talk to the people. I came here for a purpose. I would rather be at some risk, in some peril, and do what God's called me to do than to just simply be in your protective custody. And so as he motions with his hand to the people, and when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying... Now he's going to repeat that as we begin chapter 22. Now this is a very interesting point, and the reason that I bring this forth is I also shared with you last week that the Apostle Paul not in a sense of compromising, but in in a great sense of being relatable to people, understandable to people. He did everything that he could to speak to those people in such a way that they would receive it. 
Part of the problem with the body of Christ is, is that we don't speak in a way that it's attractive to those who are hearing it. We immediately go on the offense, or we get combative, or we bring up points. And, and as I share with you many things here in the church, remember this is the church. And there are a lot of things that I will share with you, because the Word of God declares them to you plainly, that we would share here that I would hope by the time you go talk to that person whom you're sharing the gospel with, who happens to be a Muslim, or by the time you go share with that person who is a Mormon, or by the time you go share with that person who just came stumbling out of the fireside, or by the time you pick up that young high schooler that you know has been smoking dope, by the time you go minister to that person that's in an adulterous relationship and they're married, by the time you take these things which are truth and you go to the people that you're going to speak to, that you find a way to reach them. That you reach into their hearts. You meet them where they are. Most people don't need to be beat up. They just need to know that God loves them. And, and so as we share those things that we would share here, they're to be taken then in your experience and in how God shaped your life and formed you. And you use those things together with your own life experience, to minister to people in a very unique way. It makes each one of you wonderfully unique in the plan and purpose that God has for you. That's why all of us have a plan and a purpose in God's great economy to bring the gospel into this world and to see people's lives transformed. And so Paul was really that living example of 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 15 and 16, and it says there, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. He had put all the stuff in his heart. He had it in his head, but it was in his heart. He wanted to share it at the heart level. And always be ready to give a defense, a defense for everyone who asks for you of the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, he was ready to do that. And he was ready to do that with Jews. He was ready to do that with Greeks. He was ready to do that with anybody because it was in his heart. And it goes on in verse 16 to say there in First Peter 3, for having a good conscience. Notice what it says, having a good conscience. It's so important that we have a good conscience, because that is the part of your mind that is controlled by the truth that you've applied. It's the part of your mind that's controlled by the truth that you've applied. And if you don't apply the truth, then you don't have a good conscience, right? You remember those times when you got in trouble with your parents? You knew you lied. You didn't tell the truth, so you did not have a clear conscience. It's exactly the same thing with God. The more of God's word that I enact in my life and I put forth to people, the more clear a conscience I have before the Lord. It's like, Lord, I couldn't have done anything else. I wouldn't have done anything different. I believe that I gave it my all. And so Paul was like that, having a good conscience, that... When they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you for your good conduct in Christ would be ashamed. In other words, when you tell the truth and you speak that truth in love, ultimately the people who are your accusers are going to come back looking silly. God will defend you. God will speak the truth to their heart. They'll know that they've misjudged. They'll know, as we talked last time, that they've misunderstood your intent, that your heart was correct. You were reaching out to them in love. And so now, chapter 22, verse 1, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. So he's standing on the steps of the Antonia Fortress. He's beside the court of the Gentiles. 
He's motioning to the crowd that's gathered because there's been all this ruckus, and a Roman garrison marches this prisoner up the top of the steps. They're going to put him inside in protective custody. So you can see him standing up there. He goes, guys! And he's speaking in Hebrew. Now bear in mind that most Hebrews raised outside of Jerusalem didn't speak Hebrew all that well. But they knew real Hebrew when they heard it. So this was another one of those points that he was trying to make. Hey, I'm going to speak to you guys in classic Hebrew. You all claim to be Jews. You're the ones that had me arrested. You're doing it based on religious law that I had defiled the temple. I'll speak to you in Hebrew. They were not expecting that. They figured he was going to speak in Greek or maybe Aramaic. And so in perfect Hebrew... It says, and when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. You see, when you reach people in such a way that they understand that you understand, you have a listening audience. When you reach into the hearts of people, you have an audience that's ready to receive. And then he said, for I am indeed a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Sicilia, and I was brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, I taught according to the strictness of our Father's law and was zealous towards God as all you are today. He was saying, you know what, guys? I understand why you had me arrested. I completely relate with why you did this. Because being a Jew myself, I was just like you. And he's going to go on and fill in some details to that effect. He said, I was just like you. I want you to notice something here. This is that reaching the Jew is a Jew and a Greek is a Greek and to the non-believer or non-believer, to somebody who's struggling with alcohol, you reach them there in that place. You see, I can go and say to somebody, I know what you're struggling with. I know exactly how that hurts. I know what it's like to come from a divorced family. I know what it's like to be an alcoholic. I know what it's like to, to go through those difficult things. I know what it's like to be broke. I know what it's like to, to live in a very uncertain time. See, I can reach people that way, and I can begin to communicate with them so that I have an open door to share what has changed me. And that's what Paul's going to do. We're getting a witnessing lesson like you can't believe in this chapter. And so he says to them, you know, I was zealous exactly as you are. I knew the law. I loved the law. I, I was raised in a very devout, strictly Jewish family. I know exactly why you had me arrested. I don't even hold it against you is what he's saying. He said, I, I, I completely understand why you did what you did. And so he speaks to them in Hebrew. What he was really doing, you see how he's finding some common ground? He's finding some way to relate to them. He's finding some way to open up the door of communication and talk to them. Can I tell you that it never works if you just immediately go, well, you know, you just are a jerk. You are a scum. You know, you're a drunk. What a rotten individual you are. And, you know, how could you possibly have ever said those things about me? And you see, if you do that, then people go on the defensive almost immediately. Amen. They don't want to hear what you have to say. And so he was reaching them with that common ground. And as I shared with you last week, that 1 Corinthians 9 passage, you know, he, his point there in that passage in 1 Corinthians 9 is that I might win some. There was a point to, to speaking in Hebrew. There's a point to you identifying with other people's lives and the things they've been through. There's a point to you being relatable. 
there's a point to you being understanding of the things that people are going through. You know, one of the great problems, I think, that exists in the church is that the church becomes unrelatable to the world because we have so removed ourselves that we're no longer even salt and light. We almost treat people who sin as if they were some different, you know, race or something. I don't know. I can't believe you do that. How quickly we forget we used to do that. Amen? How quickly we forget that but for the grace of God, we would still be doing the same thing. Amen? So we need to be relatable to people and try and find some way that we can speak to their heart. William Barclay wonderfully said, he said, in our dealings with men, however unkind and hurting they are, you know, people can do that. They can be unkind. They can be unhurt. They can be hurting. He said, we must exercise the same patience as God exercises with us. And it is the simple truth that such patience is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength and not a sign of defeatism, but rather that it's the only way to victory. <laughs> Almost made it through two pages of notes without coughing. That's not bad. So that would give us, you know, another eight coughs. I will be better by Sunday. So Paul begins by becoming very relatable, and he affirms them. You know, people need to be affirmed, that they matter, that they count, that their lives... Uh, one of the things that I think that, that most people struggle with in their, in their worth is that they don't feel like anybody cares, that nobody loves them, that, that they're, they're hurting and nobody's watching. And so Paul was saying, I was a zealous Jew just like you are. I was doing the same things that you're doing. I would have done the same things you're doing now. There was a time in my life 20 years ago when I would have done the same thing you're doing. Now, each one of us has that in our lives. As you've given your life to Christ and you have what we call our testimony, those things which God has done, you have that relatable place to some other people. You're able to minister to them. Look for something to affirm in their lives. Verse 4, he says, <clears throat> Perfect. You know, when you can't get oxygen, it's a bad thing when you're trying to... He says, For I have persecuted this way. And notice the way is, is capitalized there in your English Bible. And that's because that was a name for the people who were Christians, who were believers. It was also thought to be some type of religious cult. And so he, Paul says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest bears me witness. Now, it's interesting that there were still the relatives of the same high priest that Paul served under that were, that were probably in listening distance at this point in time. So the high priest maybe was listening inside the court. Maybe he's on the other side of the wall. I don't know. Bears me witness that all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and I went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were in Jerusalem to be punished. He said, 20-something years ago, guys, I was doing the same thing that you're doing right now. What a beautiful picture of us as we minister in this world. 20-something years ago, I went through the same thing you're going through today. 
I did the same dumb, silly, stupid things. And I don't condemn you at all. I had my reasons why I did those things at that time. But then the light went on. Then the Lord reached into my heart. And so he wasn't just merely accosting these people. He wasn't just trying to make their lives miserable back then. He was trying to kill them. What are they trying to do to him? They're trying to kill him. So he's got a perfect segue into talking to him about Jesus. I would have tried to kill me too. Furthermore, that official sanction of the high priest and all the council, Paul was being sent 175 miles north to Damascus. I mean, he was zealous about this stuff. He wasn't satisfied just staying in Jerusalem and persecuting Christians. He was willing to walk or ride or take a bus or a plane or whatever. I'm going to go kill me some more Christians. You guys got nothing on me. Those things were indisputable facts. I guarantee you the great apostle Paul was a hero to the Jews. I doubt very seriously that these people that had had him arrested even knew who he was. But I'll bet you they'd heard about him. You know, nobody carried around a little photo album, a little signed autograph book. Yeah, I got the Apostle Paul's uh, anti-Christian card here. <laughs> Check it out. Signed by Paul himself. This was back when he snuffed out 45 Christians in one day. Check that out. There's the stats. He didn't have those kind of things then. You know, they didn't have the Apostle of the Week Club or any of that. But he would have been in the big group, okay? You can imagine some of the guys that were a little more learned. Are you joking? You're the Apostle Paul? Man, I've lived my whole life trying to be like you. We wondered what happened to you. We wondered where you went. The last we knew, you took off to Damascus. You were going to go kill some more Christians. Now notice what he says. And now it happened as I journeyed, and Paul's still speaking in the first person here, came near Damascus, and about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And it's interesting, he says about noon. He's making a very clear distinction. This wasn't sunlight. He didn't all of a sudden step out of a shadow. This was some other kind of light that was shining on him. And I fell to the ground and heard a loud voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And of course, those were the words of the Lord himself. Saying, Saul, as you're going to Damascus and you want to kill these Christians, they're my kids. And what you do to them, you do to me. Would you remember that people who don't know the Lord don't know how they're being used for evil? They don't have a clue. Matter of fact, they think their manner of life is perfectly normal. They think they're doing the right thing. They don't think they're doing the wrong thing. Most people are not actively out there engaged in what they believe is totally wrong. They have somehow justified in their minds or their hearts, maybe both, that this is the way they ought to be. This is how they're entitled to be. Whatever it is, they're convinced. And so here, Saul is on his way. He's recounting to them, hey, I used to be like you. I was big time into killing Christians. I thought that was the gig. I, I was really kind of into it myself. Until Jesus got a hold of me on the road to Damascus. And so I answered and said, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. You're persecuting me, Paul. And now he's telling this Jewish audience 
after he's been arrested for somehow defiling the temple, which he did not do, that I'm not only one of you, I'm a Jew by birth. I was raised under Gamaliel. I know exactly why you think what you think. I know exactly why you do what you do. But I had an encounter with Jesus. You see how this is just like your own personal testimony? This is you. Yeah, I was in the military. And I was living the military life. And we were going to the base club. We were doing all our stuff. You see, you can relate this to any experience you have in life. And every experience you have in life. You can take your Christ experience, that conversion experience, and apply it to anyone's life in a, in a circumstance or a situation where you and they have some commonality. This is where I was. This is what I was doing. I was just like that. Let me tell you what happened on my road to Damascus. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. God spoke to Paul. Jesus spoke to Paul personally. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And of course, we know the rest of the story. We've already studied it in chapter 9 here in the book of Acts. You, you see, he had credentials. You realize you have credentials. You've got some Christ credentials. Now, some of us, you know, it, it's like whenever you go, like I'm going to do tomorrow, I'm going to go to a doctor's office. And, you know, I'm an MD, PhD, 123KFC, LBJ, and it has like 75 different letters on there, and they all mean something. You know, I'm a surgeon of maxilliofacial surgery or whatever, and those are credentials. That means I went to school for a long time. It means that in the process of that, they have life experience, they've learned experiences that they now have applied to their lives. It gives them a certain amount of credo or credence wherever they go. Do you realize your life does that to you? We call it life experience, don't we? So your life experience, transformed by the renewing of your mind through Christ, is what you then use to go now minister to other people. Because I can go and I can take that same experience, and now whereas I was using it for the flesh, I can use it for the Lord. And so we can use that testimony we have. It's your background. It's your interest. I've used backpacking. I have used skiing. I, last time I was up at Snow Valley, I'm on a lift, and Connie had gone down the mountain. I'm sitting there, and here comes the guy, and the first thing he does is pull out a joint, and he starts to roll it up. And I'm like, you know, I used to do that. Did I just scare you? And the guy, the guy looks at me, and he goes, Pastor Jeff? Flicks it off the chair. <laughs> you know, you, you can begin to minister to people. Use that life experience. And the Lord delivered me. I didn't actually cough that time. I caught it ahead of time. So after you gain that common ground, after you establish a relationship, you really have to establish some type of relationship with people to have any type of long-term conversation. 
You know what was cool? I could talk to that guy the whole way up. And those of you that ride, you know, chair one, it takes like 40 days to get to the top of. <laughs> you see, you have now an open door. You know what? God was totally backslidden. God totally busted him. I didn't make him feel bad. God did. <laughs> Excuse me. This is actually pretty funny. I'm kind of enjoying this now. Now it's become, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. It's most important that we simply tell people what God has done in our lives. And we give them the glory for it. We speak to him and say, you know what? Man, to God be the glory. Otherwise, I'd be doing the same thing. Verse 10, he goes on. And so I said, now again, he's recounting his own personal experience. What shall I do? The Lord said to me, arise and go to Damascus, and there you'll be told all the things which are appointed for you. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. He said, there was a period of time in my life when I was blinded, literally, by the light of the Lord. God kept me from doing the things that I used to do. I had to be led there. And, and that experience, as Paul was, you remember, he spent some time that way. He spent some time where the Lord was ministering to him. And so he was being prepared to minister to those people that he would initially talk to. And what he had to do is he had to submit to the Lord. Notice what it says. What shall I do, Lord? He wasn't going anywhere by himself. You see how it ties into your testimony? You weren't going anywhere by yourself. Matter of fact, you were going the wrong way. You were doing the wrong thing. You were messed up too. That way you can minister to other people. One of the things that makes very uh, very difficult for people who are too perfect, you know, you probably, each one of us knows somebody like that. I mean, we all have friends. You remember the nerds in school? You know, and you talk to them, they're just like, they're sitting around and all they ever think about is chemistry and calculus and all those kinds of things. Did you have a tough time relating to them? I did. And I was pretty smart. But I still had a tough time relating to people like that. It's the same thing with Christianity. Sometimes people are so holy and so good that they're unrelatable. They're just, they live on a different plane. That's why I was really thankful when I saw Pastor Chuck throw a hammer over a house. He sucked it. <laughs> Lost his temper, chucked it completely over a house. It was hilarious. He hit himself. Yeah, chucked it. <laughs> Harry's the only one that got that. Jeff, you know. <coughs> but yeah, you, you become relatable. It's like, oh, you mean you mean he can lose his temper too? Oh, you mean he used to smoke? That person used to drink? You, you see how it applies to almost every area of your life to where God's been done a greater work. For those of us that have never struggled with things in certain areas, we find it hard to relate to people who do struggle in that area very often. And in fact, very often we keep a legalistic viewpoint of that particular sin. But oh, how we have our own blind spots, right? We have our own things that God's had to work really hard on in our lives. Those are those areas where you really can reach other people. 
Be open for the Lord using those things in your life. Submit to the Lord is the point there. Verse 12, And then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour I looked up at him. And so now he's recounting how God brought other people into his life. He says, guys, you may not get this yourself. It might take an Ananias for you too. Maybe today you're going to hear something you don't want to hear. Maybe today I'm going to share something with you you don't understand. But would you be open to maybe somebody coming, confirming those things with you and doing yet some other work in your life? So he gives that place for others to come alongside and help in that work. You realize when you share the gospel, most of the time you're only part of the plan. Every once in a while, there's a person in your life that maybe you started sharing with five years ago, and you've given them the gospel message, and you've invited them to church, and you may actually get to lead that person to the Lord. But most of the time, you're only part of the process. I have led a lot of people to Christ that I did not water them, I did not fertilize them, I didn't even invest in their life. I happened to give an evangelical message, and somebody else spent 20 years praying over that person and ministering to them. So I kind of got to be there at harvest time is the way to look at it. Don't ever give up on the process, because sometimes you're the Paul, sometimes you're the Ananias, sometimes... You're the person who's going to come along and actually see that process come to fruition in that that person's life. Just play your part, whatever it is. God's got a plan in that. He wants you to be able to just look up and see the Lord and do what God asks you to do. Verse 14, he goes on now to say, And then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you. And he's speaking of Ananias, talking about Paul's experience in Acts 9 when he's saved. He's now in Damascus will show you his will. See the just one and hear his voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what I have seen and heard. Now, can you imagine when Paul first heard that? That was, in fact, Greek to him. That wasn't his native Hebrew. That was Greek or Aramaic or something. When Paul heard those words coming from Ananias, God speaks to him on the road to Damascus. He goes to Damascus. Now this guy Ananias shares his truth with him. He says, you're going to be the mouthpiece of God. Are you kidding me? Not going to happen. Isn't going to happen? Uh, I don't think so. Anybody else ever argue with God? I've argued with God lots. I flat told God I didn't want to be a pastor. I did. I told him, I don't want to be a pastor. I'm good as an assistant, but I don't want to be a senior pastor. I don't want to, you know, the sheep, they bite. They're smelly, and they bite. You have to tend them. No, there's there's a lot of those things that you look back on in your life and say, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, God will have to really show me. Now, here's what I have to say to you. Do not make God strike you blind. Because if he has a plan and purpose for you, he will do what it takes to make sure it's fulfilled in your life. So the sooner you listen, the sooner you say, yes, Lord, that's what you want to say. You want to say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you call me to, 
then you can kind of skip some of that stuff that Paul and myself and many others have gone through. You see, Paul was fighting against the very thing that he would become. First time in my life I was fighting against the very thing that I was going to become. I was like, no, I don't think so, Lord. You know, I'm not quite sure what you want, but I'm pretty sure that's not it. And he said, no, that's, that's it. I said, no, I don't think you know what I said. That's not it. And he said, I don't think you know who I am. That is it. So you have to leave God in charge. At the end of the day, you want him on the throne. You really don't want yourself on the throne. Amen? Verse 16 here in chapter 22. And now, why are you waiting? Don't you hate that? God ever tell you that? Get up and go. It's like, um, and here's what usually is going on in the back of your head. Well, I'm comfortable. Um, I don't have any problems here. There are no sheep right here, God, so I'm fine. Thank you. I'm completely without responsibility for anybody else's life. I don't have any problem with that. And, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable, Lord. How very often we want to wait because we're comfortable where we're staying, but where we're staying is not where God wants us, so we're actually still miserable. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. And Paul is not teaching that salvation comes by baptism, nor is it teaching that the cleansing of sin comes by baptism. He's saying, the Lord Jesus did it. It was an outward sign. Go do it. Get up. Take care of business. There comes a time when you need to just simply get up and take care of business. Enough waiting already. You know when you usually get these messages? It's about the 57th time that somebody confirms the exact same thing. You know, well, I don't know what you want, Lord. And like the next nine people that walk through the door of wherever you are, you know, I think God's called you to be a pastor. Uh-uh. Next guy walks through the door. You know, God was speaking to me, and I'm pretty sure he told me you were supposed to be a pastor. No, that was Mexican food. <laughs> And, and then you get, you know, you get 57 pieces of junk mail, and they're all on becoming a pastor. And you can apply this to almost anything in your life where God's called you. You know, God wants you to lead in worship. God wants you to help in children's ministry. Maybe share with that one person. And you get that message over and over and over again. You know what? There comes a point in time you just need to get up and go do it. And trust God. Rest in Him and let Him do what He wants to do. The results are up to Him anyway. The whole journey is a blessing, and it's a joy. It's exciting. We need to make sure that we give our full devotion to the Lord. When he says, get up and go, go. Verse 17, and it happened that when I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple. And again, he's still recounting this portion of Acts chapter 9. And I was in a trance. He was in the Holy Spirit, more than likely. Then I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And so God ordains our comings and goings. Not only does he tell us what he wants us to do, he tells us when he wants us to do it. He, uh, he's a God of details. He, he was sitting there in this dreamlike state, just like Peter was on the rooftop in Joppa, waiting for the Lord to speak, and the Lord spoke. 
And so he's really getting this confirmation. So he's getting human counsel. He's getting the word of the Lord. You see how God's putting all these things together? Now, Paul heard from the Lord, so you can actually lump two things together there. Not only did he get the audible voice of the Lord, which is rather like us having the Holy Spirit, but he also got the word of the Lord. We would get that from the Bible. And he also had confirmation from Ananias. And so those three basic ways God speaks to us still to this day, the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and the confirmation of witnesses, that's how God works. And so if you get the big triple you probably want to listen. You know, so, well, you know, I didn't get, any, get, didn't get anything from the Word. You know what I usually find? They weren't looking for it. They weren't asking for God to speak to them. Matter of fact, they were avoiding their Bible because God was probably going to speak to them, so they didn't want to hear it, so they just close it. It's the same thing with our prayer life. I remember so many times in my life, anybody else pray, in essence, against the will of the Lord? I've done that a few times. I kind of know that I know that I know God's spoken to me. Well, I want you to do this. And I'm going, well, you know, I'm going to pray that that doesn't happen. I had one of those things the first time I went to Yugoslavia. The second time I was going to go to Yugoslavia was for quite a bit longer time. I didn't want to go. There's a full-blown war going on there. I wasn't really too hip about going and being arrested by the, you know, the USSR at the time. Well, it didn't sound very good to me, so I'm... Lord, could you let the plane not land today? You know, I prayed all kinds of weird prayers. We're halfway there already. We're already in Germany. Well, Lord, could the train be late? No, you idiot. I brought you across the Atlantic Ocean because you are going. He'd already confirmed it. And I'm trying to pray for an unconfirmation. You need to move when God moves. And you need to go when God says go. Verse 19, and so I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. Can you imagine sharing this with, from Paul's perspective? This is such a beautiful story because he's standing on the Antonia Fortress steps. He's there in that portico. The temple is adjacent to him. He's speaking to a completely Jewish crowd in Hebrew. He's motioning to him, I totally identify with why you're doing this. He said, here's what happened in my own life when I got saved. And now he begins to speak right to their heart. He says, you arrested me for the same reason I used to kill Christians. You arrested me for the very things I used to try and teach people to do. You arrested me in the same manner that I myself used to go out with more zeal than you're doing what you're doing right now. you imagine how much of their attention he had? That's that's like when that person who struggled in some area of their life and God has set them free and they begin to share. It's like my brother Victor Marks. When he he shares somebody that's suffered through abuse, you know, when he shares with kids that have been abused in prison, I mean, not too many of them had their parents lock them into a freezer and try and freeze them to death and then set them out in the yard while they thaw. And as he begins to share with them about his own experience, that, that he, he didn't even know all of his fathers because his mom was married seven times. That, that he didn't have a clue where he was going to live, that from time to time he'd be left in a car in a different city and his mom would just leave him there. So when he shares with somebody who's suffered through childhood abuse, it's like he's talking directly to their heart. And so here Paul is sharing directly to the heart 
of these leaders of Judaism in Jerusalem, and he has their attention. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was getting pretty personal here. He says, the blood of your martyr, you guys killed Stephen. Notice what he says, though. I was also standing by consenting to his death. I was right there with you. Guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Isn't that an amazing thing? Man, I know what it's like. I, I remember waking up in a gutter face down. I, I know what it's like. I, I remember that time in my own life when God delivered me and I was doing the same thing. And brother, sister, the only thing that set me free was the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see how it works? And it's always worked. It's never not worked. And there's no better way to reach people. That's why when people talk about evangelism, do you realize that there are specific people that you're the most qualified person on earth to minister to them? You are the most qualified person on this earth to minister to them. Because you have been divinely knit together by God, your life experiences, the number of your days, and all that's contained in them to go meet that one person in their Jerusalem when they're going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, because you have already been there. You already know where the road goes. Divine guidance, just through these minute details. And you talk about a complete change of pace and about face for the Apostle Paul. So Paul records these things, and I, I think that as he now is going to say something that obviously is against the will of the Lord, again, he's still recounting his experience in Acts 9, his conversion experience, verse 21. He says, and then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Can you imagine what was going through Paul's mind when God told him that? Are you joking? I invested my entire life in being the best Jew possible. I am a super Hebrew. I have a shirt that even has S-H on it. Super Hebrew. Pharisee, trained under Gamaliel. I've done every Jewish thing you can imagine. I have kept the feasts. I have kept the holy days holy. I haven't transgressed the law so far as I know. And you're going to send me where? To the Gentiles, you're going to do. What? Yeah, you're going to make me a pastor. I know. I don't think so. You must have me confused with somebody else. You see, we all think. Oh, I don't think so, Lord. There, there have been so many times in my life when I look at what God's doing in my life and go, "Man, you." I was the baby that was swapped in the hospital or something. I don't know. You have me confused, Lord, with someone else. Paul gives his own history. He, he appeals to the Lord, and that appeal is unsuccessful. No, Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And you know what's awesome? Is Paul was wrong and God was right. Amen? Paul was wrong and God was right. Paul didn't want to do what he was doing. Matter of fact, if you'd given Paul a choice on that road to Damascus, I think even getting saved, he would have probably said, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to minister to the Jews. I love the Jewish people. I'm a Jew. I want to go minister to them. Can I also tell you it's a real good thing to get out of your comfort zone every once in a while and go someplace where you're completely out of your comfort zone to where when you sit there and think about it, there is no way you can handle it on your own. You know why? Because you're completely dependent upon Him. 
You can't do it in the flesh anymore. You don't have the resources necessary to make it happen. But you know the one who does, and he is faithful. Perfect. And they listened to him until this word. Okay, so Paul said all these things. They're listening intently. They're going, wow, you did that. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. And then as they cried out, they tore their clothes and threw dust into the air until Paul uttered the word Gentiles. These guys were all in as long as it's about, we're Jews. We are Hebrews. Man, we have it all now. You have this conversion experience with this guy that you think was the Messiah. We're not totally convinced that happened, but we can add this to our Jewishness. So we're going to be better than everybody else. That's the way they're looking at it. And then Paul says, Gentiles. It's like, are you joking? Brought about all their anger. They didn't see how anybody could love the Gentiles. They were convinced the Gentiles were cast off from God's blessings. Nobody should go there. Basically, they were all of the tribe of Jonah. I am not ministering to no Ninevites. You can forget it. I'm not doing it. I'll go to Tarshish. I'll go someplace, but I'm not going to go. No, them gent- uh, no, they're not getting saved. You remember the story of Jonah? He actually says that he was afraid that they'd get saved. He didn't want them blessed. He says, no, I'm not doing it. They got a couple thousand years of history of being scuzz buckets, so not on my watch. I am not taking them the truth. They'll get saved and then I'll have to love them. A lot of us look at people like that. We won't want to admit it, but you got those people in your life that you don't really want to see saved. You hate to admit it. Got that person you don't want to pray for, right? Like the flatlanders that are parked in your driveway on the weekends. I'm praying for them. I'm praying against them. You know what I'm saying. We all have those areas of our lives where you know God wants you to go minister to them. You know God wants you to be used in their life. And you're like, no, because they'll be nice or something. Then I'll have to like them. I'll have to share the truth with them. The mob gets crazy. Paul had just collided head on with their Jewishness, with their pride, with their arrogance, with their traditions. With the cough. <coughs> <coughs> why I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. Hmm. That was interesting. About two o'clock, I was, ah, I'm not going to make it. But God is good, amen. And so, Paul had just run into the, the Hebrew bus, head on. 
he had crashed his Gentile mobile right into the Hebrew bus. And they're all getting out. Oi, vey! Watch this! And Paul's over there, we're going to take the salvation of the Lord to the Gentiles. Like, we're not doing any such thing. We're God's chosen people. Isn't going to happen. Paul basically said the message of Christ had bridged over the gap between Jew and Gentile. And they didn't want to hear it. There are going to be times when you will share things with people and they won't want to hear it. Paul next reveals his Roman citizenship. Thank you, Jerry. That was, that was close. I saw how you just kind of pulled the... He's editing on the fly here. This will be pretty funny, actually, on the Internet, so I encourage you to get, to get this one. <laughs> Verse 24, And then the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted against him. Now, bear in mind that the Romans were only carrying out what the Jews had already told them to do. And so the Romans usually were kind of like the executioner, even though they didn't announce the crime. And so as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? More relatability. More using to advantage the things that God's given you in what seems like a hopeless situation. The commander who only minutes before had been impressed enough with Paul to give him the ability to speak to the crowd at all. It only been a few minutes. And Paul speaks this message to the crowd. Basically believed that torture was going to force a confession out of Paul and make this whole thing go away. And now Paul starts in on the Romans. He's already gone after the Jews in the audience. Now he's going to go after the Romans too. He's taking advantage of every opportunity that he has. And so he's going to minister. He's going to use some common sense. He's going to be shrewd. You know, it's okay to use your intellect. It's okay to use the gifts that you've been given by God to do the best you can in every situation. There's nothing wrong with doing that. He saves this for last. Under Roman law, especially the the Lex Julia, all citizens basically had the right to appeal to Rome. No matter what they had done, ultimately there had to be an edict from Rome to put them to death. To scourge them. This guy didn't have it. And Paul knew how to use this. And so, why should Paul submit to the beating? I want to tell you this ties into a, a number of different things. But this is the reason that I tell you it's okay for you to take every advantage that you possibly can get under the law, not outside of the law, not outside of God's law, not outside of moral law, but under the law in every situation that you face. You don't have to be a doormat, in other words. It doesn't bring God any glory for you to be unduly beaten. It doesn't doesn't bring glory to the Lord for you to be trounced needlessly. Sometimes you need to simply stand up and take the things that God has given you. You may not have all the tools that the world has. You won't be able to lie and cheat and steal. But you can use all of the things at your disposal insofar as they are okay with God. 
And God had no problem with Paul seeking to have his own life spared here. He wasn't going to be doing much preaching dead, right? So Paul used what he could. Are you making the best of those God-given opportunities that you have each day? Because God gives them. Are we making the best of them? And so Paul utilizes some common sense. This avoidable beating uh, would be you know, machoistic. I mean, I mean, it wouldn't have done a bit of good for Paul to take another beating for absolutely no purpose. And so he does use the Roman law here. Verse 26, And then the centurion heard that and went to the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. He's entitled to protection under the law. He's not, as we thought, a Jewish man. And then the Roman commander came to me and came to him and said, Tell me that you are a Roman. And he said, Yes. And the commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. You bought yours. I was born a Roman citizen. The laws that protect you even more so protect me. There was a class society in Roman, in Roman society. And if you bought, your, you bought your citizenship, which you could do, you could buy a Roman citizenship. If you bought your Roman citizenship, in essence, Paul was saying to him, and the centurion was admitting, compared to you, Paul, I'm actually a second-class citizen. So what else can I do? but spare you this. And so once he had learned that, apparently, I, I believe Paul's father had somehow achieved Roman citizenship, and it was highly likely that that's how it came about. But here he was taking full advantage of that situation. Verse 29, as we wrap this up tonight, and then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman because he had bound him. You see, he, he had not had a trial. Actually, Paul, had he wanted to, could have gone to the law against every last person that had laid a hand on him. Now, I want to show you something here. This shows marvelous restraint as well. So even though he had the opportunity to use Roman law against the people who had falsely imprisoned him, falsely arrested him, held him against his will, had threatened to beat him. He didn't turn right around and try to exact some toll out of them. He showed the grace of God and he showed restraint. And so he showed wisdom, he showed restraint. As the commander realized how close he'd come to, to breaking the law himself, and by the way, Roman punishment worked like this. It was based on eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. If Paul had been beaten needlessly, then the centurion who had overseen it would have been beaten with the same beating plus one. That's what would have happened. So now he's got the Roman centurion thinking about this whole Jesus guy. Because Paul could have ordered this guy thrown in jail, but Paul didn't do it. Paul could have had this guy prosecuted, but Paul didn't do it. So guess who gets the glory? the Jesus that Paul's been talking about. And the next day, because he wanted to know for, cer for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So we're going to pick that up next time. He's going to go before the Sanhedrin. And so now Paul has had this opportunity. And I want you to show, show you just how God is so amazing. 
Paul would have never had this opportunity were he not in trouble. This is how God works together all things for the good, for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. This is how he does it. He takes a situation that looks dire, which looks horrific. It looks like Paul might get killed. Not only does Paul not get killed, he ends up able to minister to people he would have never even had any contact with, all because he was faithful to what the Lord had told him to do. May we be so ourselves. It's a great Greek philosopher, Euripides, said, says there's one thing alone that stands at the brunt of life throughout its course, and that's a quiet conscience. You know, as we just are still before the Lord, we know that we know that we know, then you can just do what God's called you to do. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time tonight. Lord, I thank you for sustaining me and just giving us an opportunity to be here tonight. Pray that you would bless us, Lord, as we go our way, and may we have in our lives this type of boldness and wisdom, Lord, discernment, ability to rightly understand the things that you have for us. Bless us. Use us, Lord. We're we're looking forward to that day uh, with those that we know that maybe we can reach that nobody else can. Lord, use us to that end and to that purpose. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.